Hi, this is Rabbi Eric Levy, and I am pleased to bring to you chapter 9, Paraktet, of the book of Eov. Vayan Eov Vayomar. Eov responds and says, and it's important to note here that Eov is not responding to Bildad from the previous chapter. Rather, he is responding to Eliphaz from all the way back in chapter 4, chapter 4 and 5, but really to the things Eliphaz said in chapter 4. And that's just the way this book of Eov works. The discourse is not always contiguous. There are sometimes leaps and backtracks before thread is dropped and then picked up again. So in chapter 4, Eliphaz said, Ha'enosh me'eloah yitzdak. Do you think that in comparison to God, that a man could be righteous? Can a person be purer than his creator? And there what he was trying to say is that a person cannot be a tzaddik, he cannot be without flaw, he must have some flaw or sin in him, and that justifies whatever punishments come his way. However, tzaddik, the word tzaddik is often used in Tanakh as a technical term, a legal term, meaning someone who is uh, victorious, in a uh, court of law. Uh, someone essentially who the court is decided is right, hence the word sadiq, to be right or to be righteous. Conversely, a rasha can mean, in a legal sense, someone who loses a court case, as opposed to evil or wicked. Uh, the court decides that they're wrong, the court decides that they're wicked, but it, it really is just a legal sense of who loses the court case. Now, one certainly hopes that a tzaddik is also a naki, a truly innocent person. However, one can win in court without being naki, without being completely innocent. And also, not everybody who loses a court case is wicked or, or even potentially guilty. So Eov agrees with Eliphaz that in comparison to man, to God, Man cannot be a tzaddik, but he changes the meaning into a legal sense of the word and comes to a different conclusion than the one that Eliphaz comes to. Of course I know that this is so, that how could a man be found a tzaddik to mean being, meaning to be just? But he really means to be justified by the courts or in a court system when dealing with God. If he, i.e. God, wants to fight with him, i.e. a person, and again, note the word reeve in Tanakh is also has a technical, it can also be a technical term, meaning to take somebody to court. And the example of all these terms comes from Devarim chapter 25, which says, Ki reeve ben anashim v'ni geshu el ha-mishpat, u-shfatum When there will be a dispute between men, and they take their dispute to court, and the court decides that one person is in the right, and the other person is in the wrong. And Rashi Mishpatim notes that there's a difference between Naki, who's somebody who is really guiltless, and Sadiq is somebody who is merely considered to be correct in the court systems. Anyway, getting back to our verse, if he wants to fight with him, lo ya'anenu achat minialef. And this is a very difficult phrase, but the word ana of ya'anenu should also be understood in the legal sense, like it is used in the Ten Commandments. Lo ta'aneh bereacha eid shaker. Do not make a false legal claim or accusation uh, against your friend or against your compatriot. So our verse may mean, if God wants to take man to task, if he wants to reeve with him, 
then he, man, will not be able to find a single legal argument out of a thousand. That is, because he's such a weak person compared to the greatness of God, there's no way that any argument that he's going to uh, uh, make that's going to win in court, which returns to the idea about a lack of parity, which is what Eov pushed with his uh, argument from a few chapters ago, what am I, a supernatural monster that God needs to step on? That speech was all about how there's a lack of parity, so why should God be giving God-like wrath to such a pitiful human character? But here, the lack of parity is in a legal sense. Since God and man are not comparable, how is it fair that man in general, and Eom in particular, uh, should have to argue his case against God when there's no chance to win? Why? Because God is, in the next passage, Chacham Levav Ve'amitz Chawach, Miksha Vayishlam. God is wise of mind, Chacham Lev, and powerfully strong, Amitz Koach, and who can be stubborn before him and come out whole? That is, who could take on God and not lose? And how, how could anybody win in such a circumstance? The word Chochmah is very critical for our understanding of Eov, since the idea of Chochmah, of wisdom, is repeated very often in the book, especially, as we'll see in chapter 28, where it really comes to a head. The sense of Chochmah really means knowing everything that one needs to know about creation and artisanship and how to be successful and how to do things successfully and perfectly based on a full understanding of a particular area of knowledge or, in God's case, all areas of knowledge. For instance, Yoav, in the book Samuel uh, 2, in, in 2 Shmuel, Bet Shmuel Bet, hired an Isha Chochmah. And what was her what was her Chochmah? What was her wisdom? She had the ability to dress up and to act so convincingly that David was fooled into thinking that her story was a real one. But Salel also says that he has chokhmah, which meant that he had an expertise in his sculpture and metalwork and design. That was his chokhmah. He had the ability to translate what was, to understand the system completely and to translate that into successful action uh, to manage to translate the perfect uh, potential knowledge into actual applied knowledge as well. So in chapter 4, Eliphaz pointed out that man, being mortal, dies young without ever achieving chokhmah, which means real full mastery of knowledge. And now Eo, for six verses, agrees that God has the real chokhmah. And he explains about essentially what this is, which is, this, this Chocham Lev is not really omniscience, God's ability to know things and know everything, but it's omnipotence, God's ability to do everything, and so too by Amitz Koach, although we'll see Amitz Koach is sort of the opposite of Chocham Lev. So now Eov will quote Eliphaz, and in fact he'll start quoting from the prophets Isaiah and from Amos, but once again he'll slant their words to show that God, with all of his omnipotence, with all his greatness, with all of his chokhmah, he could be unfair in his omnipotence. So the first three verses deal with the Amitz Koach, and the last three verses deal with um, the Chacham Levav. Hamatik Harim Veloyadao Ashera Facham Beapo Hamargis Eretz Mimakoma Veamudea Yit Palatun Haomer Lacheres Velo Yisrach Uvaad Kochavim Yachtov. He removes mountains so thoroughly it's as if they were never there, turning them over in his anger. He quakes the earth from its place and its pillars, i.e., its supports, they shudder. He commands the sun. The word cheres means the sun here because pottery, cheres, is made out of such a hot kiln that was like the sun. So it's another word for sun. And it stops, that is, he commands the sun to stop shining and he seals away the stars. That is, he could turn off the lights of the sun and all of the stars as well. 
So God's power of Amit's koach here is essentially in God's ability to unmake all of creation. Now the next three verses focuses on the Chacham Lev omnipotence of God, that is his ability of artisanship, his ability and his mastery over all of nature. Notesh Amayim Livado he alone spreads out the heavens and tramples the crests of the seas. And this Bahamoteyam is a, a mythical and, of course, metaphoric image of God trampling the behemoth of the ocean, some kind of sea creature, in order to make uh, order of the chaos, in order that uh, humans could survive and the ocean wouldn't wash over all of the earth who makes the constellations of Ashk, Seal, Chima, and Chadre Teiman, which uh, the exact constellations, these four, uh, which ones he's referring to, in, can only be a speculation today. But Ash is said to be Sirius, um, that is the uh, bear, which points to the North Star. Seal is said to be Orion. Chima is uh, uh, Pleiades. And I'm not sure about Chadre uh, Teiman, which literally means the chambers of the south. So maybe he means the southern cross, which in the northern hemisphere is only available from the tropics and south. And even then it's only available for a few hours before it falls below the horizon. What I find kind of interesting, but I'm not sure what to make of it, is that two of these uh, constellations, Ash and Xiel, are also terms that are used by Eliphaz in his derision of Eov. Eliphaz refers to Eov's kislato, which may have meant his foolishness. And he also told Eov that as a human he is flawed since the Ash, the worm, will help his body decompose after death. But if Eov is hinting at something that Eliphaz was referring to, uh, I'm, I'm not really sure what his intent is. So let's continue on with verse 10. He makes great things that not, cannot be fathomed, wonders that are too numerous to count. So what we have here is qualitative and quantitative omnipotence. Now, Eob is quoting Yeshayahu, who also says about God, Ein There is no way to fathom his reasoning. And in Tehillim we also read, So after spending three verses talking about God's destructive power, Eob seems to be coming clean and being fair and saying that God also has constructive power as well. But either way, whether it's constructive or destructive, and certainly if it's destructive, man is not in the same playing field as God. So how can man successfully come out justified when he comes to dispute against God? Also, I think Eov is, is really setting up a jab against Eliphaz, who claimed to understand... Uh, uh, that is, Eliphaz claimed to have these transcendental visions, these prophecies, and based on those prophecies, he was able to have a complete understanding of how God works. So what Eov uh, has established now is that God is completely transcendent, and man is not, and therefore, in truth, he says, When he, that is God, passes over me, I don't see him at all. When he goes by me, I can't perceive him at all. This is, at the same time, a jab at Eliphaz's self-proclamation uh, of his ability to understand God. And Eov is saying, in truth, I don't understand anything, and neither do you. But Eov is also frustrated, because if we look at the lack of parity, that, that man can't even perceive what God is about at all, um, then Eov essentially has no chance having a one-on-one -on -one with God, uh, and have it be not only successful, but even have it be possible. If he destroys, who will respond to him? That is, who will respond to God if he comes and destroys? Who will tell him, what are you doing? Yachtov here does not seem to uh, be the, the Hebrew Yachtov 
uh, which means to snatch away. That Yachtof is spelt with a tet, this with a taf. So the translation of to destroy is based on uh, the, uh, uh, Ebenezer and Rashi, who both agree. But getting back to the point, Eov is saying that God, whose abilities are infinitely beyond not only man, but anything else in the heavens of the earth, is like essentially the 800-pound gorilla in the playground. And pardon my imagery of God being an 800-pound gorilla, but honestly, who's going to argue with God? So Eov recognizes his limitations, the limitations of his very human condition, both in power as well as comprehension. But that doesn't make him feel any better about the fact that God is so great, and it doesn't make things fair in Eov's eyes. Not only that, but according to Eov, God, once God's favor is lost, he feels that the favor is lost forever. So he says, Eloah lo yashiva po tachdav shachuz rav. God will not pull back his anger. Even the helpers of Rav are brought down low before him. Rachav seems to have been some type of destructive, supernatural creature associated with uh, Egypt and with the underworld. Now, there are other ways to translate this uh, verse, but I'll, I'll stick to that. And now, getting back to the court case terminology, Even if I would try to answer him, if I would try to propose legal arguments against God, even if I would choose my words, if I would choose my words carefully, that is, if I was careful to formulate a great closing argument. Now, this is a difficult verse, since the previous verse uh, was saying, I would argue with him, I would present a case. And this verse says, I can't present a case. So maybe what it means is, even if I wanted to, and even if I was right, i.e., I had an argument that would win in a normal human court of law, even then, lo and I would not be able to make the argument in this court of law. The only thing I can do is I could only beg for mercy from my court opponent, or whether or Meshofetai is maybe my judge, but it doesn't make a difference. It's either way, God is both the uh, person who's being accused by Eov as well as the judge. And he's, he's both the plaintiff or the defendant and the judge as well, which may also be not fair, although Eov doesn't say that in particular. Im karati continuing with this idea, even if I would issue a summons, and he would, God would answer the summons, lo amin ki koli, I do not believe, or I am not so solid, the word amin can mean I am not so solid, as Eliphaz said, do you really think, he doesn't even put solidity in his angels, how do you think that you're solid? So I'm certainly, I know I'm not solid, and therefore even if I called him, and even if he answered my summons, and showed up to talk to me, he wouldn't listen to me, and why not? Well, for many reasons, but the first is stated in the next verse, verse 17, is the fact that humans are that a human is so overwhelmed by the punishments that he's getting that all of his arguments necessarily stumble out of nervousness or terror or fear or pain or whatever it is. Since he injures me with his storm, switching uh, the saram switching to mean storm by switching the sin to a samach. Otherwise, the word sar with a sin can mean hair, but that doesn't really fit in so well. It could, but it doesn't fit in perfectly. So I think storm is the trans. Uh, translates better, and, and we've seen many times in the book of Eov where Sin and Samach uh, get uh, repl- replace each other. Also note the word Yishufeni, that is, with the, uh, he injures me with a storm, is uh, that that word Yishufa or Yishufcha is also used uh, as the curse given to the snake in the Garden of Eden, that the snake will strike at or injure the heels of a woman, and she will strike at Yishufcha, uh, 
at the uh, at the uh, snake's head. And the fact that the rabbis made connections between the snake and the Garden of Eden in the story and Satan of our book should be obvious based on this term, the, ter- the terminology and the connections. But the idea of tying those two stories together is really outside the scope of what we could do in this uh, in this daily chapter. So getting back to the verse, Vihir Bafa Chinam, he increases my wounds for no reason. Uh, the word chinam also shows up during the Satan-God discussion in the first two chapters. But again, outside of what we could cover here um, is trying to compare whether Eov really knew that there was a Satan afoot or not, or whether it was just a metaphor that applied only to the two chapters. But really, as far as we could tell, God oh, the only thing Eov really knows about is uh, that God is punishing him, which is which is what's going on, or or not punishing him, but ruining him, which is what is happening. Anyway, continuing with verse 18, Lo yitaneni ashev so the reason why I can't get out a good court argument is because I'm in so much pain with the storm and with the with the smiting that he doesn't allow me to even catch my breath. Indeed, he fills me with bitter things. How am I supposed to present a court case when I'm just human and my suffering is so great that it derides me of focus? And now another argument for the uselessness of trying to sue God in a court of law. If I come before Koach Amit, that destructive, powerfully strong nature of God, um, so here I am, but if I come to that court, who will testify for me? Who will be my witness? Who will stand up for me? And here's another, that is, even if I could come talk to God, who am I going to find as any witnesses who are willing to back me against God? And now another argument, the next Pasuk. If I would have been in the right, even if I would have, it doesn't tell me any, because my mouth, P. Yashieni, makes me in the wrong. If I am flawless, Tamani Vayakshani, uh, either he, God, or perhaps it, my mouth, would condemn me. Now, either Eov means that as a human, his arguments, which would have been, which really would have been fine in a human court, will, will essentially fail or be found to be faulty against God. But what I really think he, he, uh, uh, um, he means is that he's responding to Eliphaz and Bildad's accusation. They accused him that the very fact that he was speaking out against God was a sin, proving that he was a sinner. So the very act of trying to prove that one's innocent and that one is suffering an injustice causes the very opposite result and become and therefore the person who may have been innocent before he started yapping becomes not innocent afterwards, and then you could say that those punishments that he got in the first place are justified retroactively. So it's a catch-22. If I'm right, then proving I'm right makes me wrong, and then I'm wrong, so I can't prove I'm right. It's a no-win situation, and maybe Eov says that's simply unfair. And now, having spoken of the impossibility of getting a fair shake, the impossibility of suing God and making any kind of arguments of God which might carry the day, he goes back to his original assertion and his original request from the previous chapters. I am without flaw, meaning I did not sin, but I should become unknown. Nobody should know from me as I abandon and disgust my life. I'm finished with my life. And now Yov abandons the idea of the impossibility of arguing with God and gets um, actually harsher. He goes on to a new argument about the fact that God is not a fair shepherd of the people on this earth. Achati. It's all the same. And that's why I say he destroys the innocent 
and the guilty. If scourge, remember the word shot is like this violence, this motion-based violence. In Yishayahu, shot is the sound of the whips pounding on the horses as they come in war. So going back to the verse, if a scourge kills suddenly, he, presumably not God, but the enemy who brought on the scourge, will mock at the destruction, the destruction of the innocent. And here we use the word naki, not sadiq, the person who's really innocent. And, and Yehovah is not saying that God will mock or laugh, Yilag will, will laugh derisively at the suffering of the innocent, but simply that he allows the evil to have their way, the destructive to have their way, and they will laugh because the innocent, well, the meek will not inherit the earth at all. The meat will fall under the sword and the whip of the enemy. Eretz nitzna biyad rasha, Eov says. Pnei shofetel yechaseh im lo mihu. The world has been given into the hands of the wicked and the faces of its rulers, i.e. its just and good rulers, have been covered. If this is not true, that is, if it's not true that God allows this to happen because God has control of everything, and this way Yehovah is being very religious, he admits that God has control of everything. But if that's true, then God has to take responsibility for the fact that the wicked put down the uh, the just. And if that's not true, then who is it? Me who? Who's the one who allows this? Who do you think, referring, he's probably staring at Eli and staring at, at, at Bildan and saying if things are unjust who do you think is responsible for it if not God if God is omnipotent then where else do you have to look for this kind of, uh, of unfairness so Eov may be referring to himself um, because he, we found out that he was a judge from Eliphaz's first speech. And he may, but the problem is that if he's referring to himself, it's not clear why he's talking about some enemy putting him down, because we didn't really have an explicit enemy. We had some tribes of Shabbat destroying his pro, pro, you know, destroying his goods, but we never really had the idea of warring enemies coming out against Eov. So he might be referring to the Satan as the Rashad that is bringing ruin on the innocent, which is himself. Uh, and he may be accusing God of, of essentially setting the Satan loose unjustly on him for no reason. Hence he uses the word chinam. However, it, you know, he doesn't really know about what happened in the heavens during the first two chapters. As far as he's concerned, it's all God. Um, therefore, it might be possible to understand that really the whole story in the book is a metaphor. It's a metaphor on a certain level of the nation of Israel who is in their after the first temple is destroyed, who is in exile. And Eov's suffering is a metaphor to the nation of innocence being subjugated and destroyed by the Babylonians, by their warring and by their unjust behavior. Um, otherwise, it's hard to really say what enemy Eov is referring. But either way, whether he's referring to the enemies that destroyed his goods, or whether he's referring to the Satan and himself, or whether he's referring to the nation of Israel uh, versus the nation of Babel, or some future nation that will subjugate an innocent nation of Israel, or whether it means all of these things, because of metaphor, of course, works on multiple levels. But either way... Um, Eov, what, what, what Eov is questioning remains. Since God is in charge, how can he let this happen to me or happen to us as a people? Whether it's me as an individual or happen to us as a people, the question still remains. And now, perhaps because he feels that he has gone too far in accusing God of allowing unjust destruction and death, Eov will go back to his own problems before returning to the much less chutzpahdik argument of above, which is that legal te- give and take with God is impossible because of the lack of parity between God and mankind. So, verse 25, My days speed by faster than a racer. They run away without seeing any good. 
Ale Ochel, they go by like reed boats, which are probably some light Egyptian racing boats made out of reeds. They go by like a vulture, and I'm sorry, in modern Hebrew, Nesher is of course a romantic eagle, but in biblical Hebrew, it is a powerful vulture. A vulture who swoops down on its prey. That is, my life is running out as fast as a vulture attacks its prey. And now another personal complaint that we've heard before in previous chapters. Imom Ri, Eshkecha, Sichi, if I say I'll forget my sorrow, I'll get over this face that is my negative face and I'll be strong, it doesn't work. Why? All my pain and sorrow will terrify me because I know that God will not clear me. He won't make me clean. Again, one might say that Eov is admitting that as a human he may have some flaw but God won't clean it out. Or perhaps, and I think this is true, he's saying I, I don't have a sin but God won't admit it in a court of law that I am in the clear. I will be vilified in this court. So why all this? I.e., why go to this court case as, at all? Heavily God is vanity, it is worthless, it is so much waste of time to approach, as in approaching the bench. Even if I wash myself in snow water and I purify my hands with boar, boar is lye, L-Y-E, which was apparently used for soap back then. You would dip me in my grave, which doesn't really mean a literal grave, but it means the mud and the muck of the ground, and my clothes would disgust me. Why? Again, returning to that phrase, a court case, because a man such as I am cannot make a legal argument in the way that that we too, you God and me Eov, could come together in court as equals. Lo ish kamoni mishpat. There's no way I could give you something as if we were equal in a court of law. And not only that, lo yesh lo yesh There's no one that could be a mediator for us who could place his hands on both of us. That is to to make sure that the arguments are coming out equally. Yaser A mediator who would tell God to remove his staff is his affliction so that his fear would not terrify me and therefore I can make my court case a viable court case because only then only if there was such a mediator could I then speak without fearing him and as the chapter ends with then the very difficult difficult phrase that is not the way I am with myself. Now, maybe what that means, means I can't behave this way without fear because there is no one who can mediate and therefore there's no way I can behave this way and therefore there's no way I could win. Alternatively, some see this as another emendation of the scribes. You should go back to chapter 6. Uh, or seven to remember what that is, a change that the Sofrim makes so that Eov doesn't come out absolutely chutzpah And what Eov actually meant, full chutzpah, uh, was, kilochein hu imadi, not kilochein anochi imadi, kilochein hu god imadi. But that's not the way he, God, behaves with me, which means he is not fair with me. He does not allow a mediator to make sure that we're equal. And therefore, in court, I have neither hope of arguing against God successfully, nor that even nor, nor even that anyone will make God listen to me, and I certainly have no way of coming out justified in any court of law, whether I'm right or not. These are very harsh words, and Eo will relax a bit uh, as he continues his speech in tomorrow's chapter, in chapter 10.